Hey, I hope you have a Bible with you. Uh, I have a message this morning titled, Let Me Encourage You. I have an elaborate PowerPoint this morning. We're going to go, 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 and this is it. (laughs) One slide, let me encourage you. Do you see that person standing up at the edge of that precipice? How many of you wish you were there? Really? Nobody? Okay, there's there's a few. The Pennock kids, of course. (laughs) They can go with me. Savannah and I were hiking once. We were running around trails, drop off on the side. We're whipping around the corner, running. That was fun, wasn't it? Except now she can outrun me. (laughs) Let me encourage you. I, I, I picked this slide on purpose because... Sometimes we get obsessed with our life. Now, do you, that person is a tiny part of that picture. And God's in control of the whole thing. And so when Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 2, he's encouraging these believers and he wants to encourage them, but he wants to encourage them the right way. See, we have some preachers today who are out there encouraging people, you can have your best life now. Right? That's not true. If this is the best it gets, we're in trouble. And and we need to encourage people the right way. Not that everything's great. If you come to Jesus, life is so good. You know, some of the television preachers, your life's going to be so much better if you send them their money. How does that work? I know God blesses when you give to his work. But your life's going to be better when you walk with God. And so Paul's challenging the people in Colossae to really stop, think, reflect on life. Join with me in looking at, you read as I I read out loud, you read along. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 1, Paul said, For I would that you knew what great conflict or uh, stress that he was enduring. Not just uh, conflict like we could think, but this is like a, a big inner struggle going on in his life. What great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Do you think that Paul thought his face was so good looking that if they could see his face, they would be blessed? Is that what he was thinking? What was he thinking? Seeing him in person. Why? Because he really wanted to minister to them. Do you hear the heartbeat of Paul? He wants to minister and connect with as many people as he possibly can. And he feels sad that he hasn't been able to get to Colossae yet. So he's writing to them. And and here's the burden. It's a, it's a twofold burden. The first part of this burden is relational, verse 2. That their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. That's the first part. It's relational. Their hearts, the core of their being, that includes your thoughts, it includes your will, your purpose, your intellect, your conscience, the whole part of you, the core of your being, that it would be connected 
comforted, is to be encouraged, knit together in love, to be connected with each other. And so here's Paul saying, listen, what I want for you people in Colossae is that you be connected with one another, uh, relationally connected. Uh, Jim was talking about going to John's birthday party. And, and it's fun to have relationships with people and, and be able to go and, and connect with people and, and listen and talk and have fun uh, in our hospitality week. We encourage you all to do that. And hopefully you do that not just hospitality week, but you're connecting with people, engaging with people. How many people have been in your house so far this year, Tim? Do you remember? 46. So if you haven't been there yet, talk to them. No. 46 different people just this calendar year. Why? Connecting with people. In fact, three of them lived there for a week. Um, but Nate and Adi, before they moved to Utah, had to move out of their place in Florence. And so they lived with the Penix for a week. And uh, Nate and Adi and Bree. And uh, they're doing well up in Utah. But we, we miss having them here. Paul's saying, I want you to be connected. Relational connection first with the Lord and then with one another. That's very important to your health, to your spiritual growth and development, to your physical health, to your emotional health. People who want to isolate themselves and live alone, they, their minds usually distort truth because they're no longer connecting outward with other people. And so... Paul's saying, I want their hearts to be comforted as they're knit together in love. I want them to have this relational connection so they're encouraged, so they're knit together in love from the core of their being. The second part of the burden is also found in verse 2. Um, to the, uh, I'm sorry, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So the first burden is relational. The second burden is doctrinal. How many of you have heard stories of churches or heard preachers on the radio or television who are distorting the truth of God's word? <laughs> if you haven't heard of it, you haven't been paying attention. It's even more prevalent today because of the internet, but it's always been prevalent. It was an issue in Paul's day. It was an issue in Jesus' day. It's been an issue in every day, people distorting. The riches, the, the spiritual wealth of what God wants you to understand. Understanding is insight and comprehension and the acknowledgement or the knowledge and recognition. He said, I want you to be able to notice what's right and true. And one of the facts of our Christian walk is that we don't have assurance of our faith if we're not walking with the Lord. The Bible gives very clear doctrinal instruction about how I am the Lord's and I'm his forever. And once I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm adopted into God's family. I'm made a son of inheritance and so are you. And, and we are belong to him forever. Um, there was a song Kathy learned when we were newlyweds, I am his and he is mine. I love that. The emotion of that song really stirs my heart every time I hear it. We belong to him. He loved us and gave himself for us and connects us with him. But we, we don't have assurance of that when we're not walking with him. 
when we're obedient and we're understanding and we're searching the scriptures and we're finding, and then we have assurance of that relationship. It's just like Kathy and I have been married for 36 years, but there are days when we haven't talked to each other. Then a few days lately where we haven't seen each other for a dozen hours. Uh, and then we talk to each other. Well, do, how do I know whether she's happy with me or not? I mean, she's breathing, right? So she's got to be happy with me. Hey? But, but the relationship flourishes when we connect with each other. And so your relationship with God does the same. It flourishes when you're connecting with him in reading the scripture and following the scripture and, and praying. That's what builds that. And then you're encouraged in your walk with him. The doctrinal, in verse 3, he talks doctrinally that the central focus uh, of our life should be on Jesus Christ, in whom, uh, the end of verse to the, the last verse, Christ, verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does it mean, all the treasures? What do you think all means? Yeah. Yeah. In the Greek, all means all. Everything, all the treasure, the fullness of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I have known some very brilliant men who have rejected Christ, some of whom had their doctorate in philosophy and even theology. One had his doctorate in theology, but he didn't believe in Jesus Christ uh, as God. He believed Jesus was one of God's messengers. And brilliant minds, but they've rejected and not believed the most simple basic truth that knowledge and wisdom is found in Jesus. No matter how brilliant you become as you grow and mature, if you're not centering your life on Christ, you're making some dumb choices. You will act like a non-intelligent person because in him is the fullness of wisdom and knowledge. And then in verse 4, he talks about people coming up with compelling arguments that can deceive you. This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words or compelling arguments to sway you away from the truth. Paul wants them to have a much clearer understanding of the will of God, the purpose of God, the word of God, so that they can recognize error. I was a, a kid in a pet store. Um, I'm have no idea why, <laughs> but I, I was in a pet store when I was a kid, and a lady came in and paid and left, and when the lady handed the bill to the clerk, I'm, I'm colorblind, I thought the bill looked funny. I thought, that doesn't look like a normal bill. She gave a $20 bill to the clerk and left. The clerk gave her change, and she left, and, and then the manager came in and opened the drawer and said, what is this? This is a counterfeit. And the manager recognized it right away. The clerk should have, but didn't. That's the only time in my life I've actually seen a counterfeit bill. We know about them, but I saw one. And we need to recognize counterfeit. 
You walk into the average Christian bookstore today, go online to a Christian bookstore, you're going to find all kinds of things that are not Christian. They're written by a person who professes to be a Christian, but some of the psychology books, and by the way, psychology is great. It's a study of the mind and how the mind works, but but some people have distorted psychology and they have put man's theology and thrown a few verses on it and then call it biblical theolo- or biblical psychology, and it's not. There is biblical psychology, but it starts with Jesus Christ and it builds in the Word of God and then it flows into the mind and it doesn't reverse order. And so people are coming up with all these compelling arguments and Paul wants them to have such a clear understanding of the truth that they would recognize the error immediately. I am not a foodie. How many of you are foodies? You know what a foodie is? A a foodie is a person who just loves food and they care about the nuances of food. And um, they, so a foodie can, can take a bite of something and they can tell you the spices that are in that food. I can take a bite of something and I can tell you good or not, you know? It's good stuff or it's not. And even if it's bad stuff, put enough salsa on it and it's good, right? But, but a foodie recognizes and distinguishes the taste. I can't do that. Uh, color-wise, I, can't, I have no discernment of color. Uh, I really seriously disappointed Leah. At, was it at breakfast this morning? I gave her the wrong colored fork. She wanted... Orange, and what did I give her? Green. Green. How was I to know? I just handed her a fork, and it was sobs. It was crisis. I can't remember being two. I was probably worse than that, according to the stories. But Paul wants them to recognize the error. Because there are false teachers who are deliberately trying to deceive, There are false teachers who themselves are deceived and they don't know any better. And so we need to know the truth of God's word. That's one of the reasons why we challenge you to read the Bible, challenge you to memorize scripture, challenge you to work to put it into your life so that it's not just a theoretical head knowledge, it becomes heart action. And so Paul's saying, I don't want you to be beguiled. There are people out there deceiving people, and I don't want you to get caught up in it. Verse 5, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying, beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Here, this is relational. I am partnering with you. He said, I'm not there physically, but I'm partnering with you spiritually. We're praying for one another. We're connecting for one another, with one another. And I'm, I'm rejoicing to see that you, are, you have good order and steadfastness in your faith. So um, I know the Spirit moves. Uh, we talk about the way the Spirit moves in hearts and lives. And some people, you know, take Jesus' instruction in John saying, the wind blows where it listed. You hear the sound of it. And you see the wind blowing. That's the way the Spirit moves. 
If you've ever been out here and you've been around the dust devils, you see the wind kind of goes this way and then it goes this way and then it goes that way and then it goes this way and then it goes that way and spins around and it tosses tumbleweeds and stuff. And if you have a trampoline, anchor it down because it's throwing kids on trampolines way up into the air, just sucking them up. Uh, Because we get wind swirls from the heat all the time out here. Well, that's the way the Spirit is. Sometimes the Spirit will move you here, and then over there, and then over here, and then over there, and then back here. Oh, you just don't know what the Spirit's doing. But Jesus is actually teaching the opposite. He's saying, you can't see the wind, but you see the effect of the wind. And you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you see the effect of the Spirit in the life of a person. And so order is not contrary to the Spirit, although too much order could be. Too much order, we're so focused on order, like the pastor who chiseled the order of service on the building so that it had to be the same way every week. Okay, that, Too much order can stifle the work of the Spirit, but the Spirit thrives in an orderly environment. Uh, we find that Paul repeats that to the church in Corinth. That let all things be done decently and in order, following the appropriate priorities and with the structure. And and that's a good thing. And so here, the Spirit's moving and He's enjoying their order or the priorities they're following, their steadfastness, that they're true to their values and they're following through on their commitments. And and these are good things. Uh, The Spirit moves in these things. And then verses 6 and 7 describe a doctrinal relationship. He brings the two together. Verse 6. As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, that's that personal, spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Then he says, walk in him. Continue to live your lives following Christ, following his priorities, living by his values. Walk with him. And then in verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therewith with thanksgiving. Now, this starts out passive. This is what God does. Rooted is an agricultural term. Uh, Jeff comes and Jeff often takes care, I guess I say often, he's the only one who takes care of the plants around the fountain. Um, But he doesn't have to do it every week. But every couple of months, we get new, new plants out there. I told them, we want to keep kids out of the fountain. We should put jumping cactus around there. But for some reason, the ministry leadership team didn't like that idea. So I offered, how about prickly pear? No, I still don't shot that. So we have these beautiful flowers out there, and, and, and they take work. But, but what makes it thrive is the roots go down into the dirt. See, if you just put the dirt and you stick a flower on top of that dirt, it's just going to die. But if the roots go down into the dirt, digging down in, now it can draw nutrients from the soil and from the water as it's watered, and it can grow and thrive. And so God wants you to be rooted in him. Paul wants the church in Colossae and the Holy Spirit save this for us to learn from, and he wants us to be firmly established, I'm sorry, organically connected to Christ. Uh, We would call it being grafted into the family tree, if you will, an illustration that Jesus used about grafting. Uh, We're grafted into the family tree. We're connected with the Lord. We are rooted. 
There's a solidness to our faith. The next word, rooted and then built up. This also is, is passive, something the Lord's doing. This is architectural. This is structure. So that here we have in, inside this wall, you can't see it unless you're Superman. But there's studs inside this wall. And there, there's uh, electricity and, and you see these vents. Well, there's ductwork that goes from them to the different air units. And, and all that's hidden behind the walls. That's part of the structure built up. Uh, in the first Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, Jesus Christ is the foundation, and then we build up on that foundation. And so Paul's saying here to the church in Colossae, I want you to be built up. I, I want there to be um, growth and edification and maturity. And as you're constructing your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Then the next word, established or established, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, established in the faith. This is a legal confirmation. This is, uh, say you have a dispute with somebody, and you go to court, and you present your case to the judge, and the judge takes your argument, their argument, he evaluates all the evidence, he rules in favor of you. This is what Paul said. You have this legal affirmation, this confirmation that this is true. This is right. We're, we're not built on, like somebody says, you know, um, hmm, can't remember who it was. I can picture his face, but can't come up with his name. But, but Christians act, some people act toward Christians like when you come into the church, check your brain at the door. You know, and I was watching a video on uh, Mormonism, and uh, the Mormon church teaches some things that are very contrary to the Word of God. They're wonderful people, kind-hearted people, good families. Um, Actually, our community is better because we have some in service in the school system, and, and they help keep things orderly and structured. But doctrinally, theologically, they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe he became God. He was a lesser being created by God and became God, and we could eventually become gods. And so when, when we um, interact with them and, and we talk, we need to recognize that there is some error there, and there is some truth that we have that they're not following. And, and Paul said, I want this legal, you are an heir of Christ. And like I said, that song, I am his and he is mine. You are an heir of Christ. You belong to him. You're connected with him. And doctrinally and theologically, we, we need to approach him from the proper perspective and value who Jesus Christ really is as he revealed himself in Scripture. And so we have this legal confirmation. It's been evaluated. It's been confirmed. We have it in the Word of God. And then he says, as you have been taught. Again, this is passive, somebody teaching you. Who had been teaching them? It wasn't Paul. They'd never seen Paul. They'd never seen his face. So it was other teachers. Notice... There's a danger today with some teachers and preachers. You must follow me. 
I am God's spokesperson. I am God's anointed. You must follow. Paul's saying, listen, those other people have been teaching you the truth. There's a, there's a common block of, for want of a better word, traditional fundamental doctrine, holding to the fundamentals of the faith. There are fundamentals that we all should agree on. Every believer should. And so, you know, this isn't the only church that I have been a member of. For some of the younger kids here, this is the only church they've been a member of. Uh, This is actually, I've been a member of this church longer than any other because I've been here 18 years. Dad was in the service. There were a few churches we were in less than 18 months. And then I was in the service. And then, uh, but, but God eventually brought us here. And I've been here for 18 and a half years, longest I've ever been anywhere. But there are other churches we can go to. There are sister churches. There are brother pastors and teachers. And we can connect with them. And, and see, so we send our kids to camp or next month to the youth retreat. Uh, going up to Prescott Valley, and the speaker is going to be Pastor Tom Petro. Happens to be a good friend of mine. I'm looking forward to being there, learning from Tom. But I won't be the one doing the teaching. But we we connect with those that are. So Paul's saying, "Hey, others have been teaching you the truth of God's word, and I'm building on that." Anytime a speaker tells you they're the only one you should trust, don't trust them. Run from them because they're not teaching truth. And so uh, as you have been taught. Now, now things change in the middle of verse 7. Now we come to an active thing, something that we must do. Abounding therewith with thanksgiving. Abounding is something you must pursue. Overabundance. How many of you have ever been pouring a cup and got distracted? And you look back and it's everywhere. Overflowing. This is the the illustration. Overflowing. Just spilling out of you. Overflowing with what? What's it say? With thanksgiving. Overflowing with thanksgiving. Um, A gratitude and praise that just bursts forth from you. We are American Christians, Christian Americans, hyphenated, right? We are some of the most blessed people on the planet. And what do we find Christians doing the most? Whining and fussing about physical or emotional or political problems. Do we have physical, emotional, political problems? Yes! But we should overflow with abundance. I was talking with Joel before the service. He knew that I had gone on mission trips to Cuba about a dozen times. A couple times Kathy went with me. And, and he knew I'd talk with him before about how much I enjoyed that, what a blessing it was. And I just told him this morning I can't do it anymore because I had that, that the lung infection in 2011. It did permanent damage to my lungs from a virus I picked up while I was in Cuba. And so I cannot go on any third world or developing nation mission trips. Uh, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I said, yeah. Yeah, I said, I, I have to suffer with just living in the United States. It's a burden. Aren't we blessed? I mean, we just had 
one of the biggest transitions in government in the world, and not a shot was fired. We are so blessed. Now, they may still have to call out the army guard over rioters, but, but we are amazingly blessed. And when you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you are blessed. Listen, I thought of a worst-case scenario, okay? You go to the doctor, it's cancer. Bad. Possibly treatable, but serious. You leave the doctor, you go to work, you got a new job, a new boss at work. You go to work, the boss says, we're downsizing the company, we're letting you go. You put all your stuff in a box. And all you have is the box you carry out. You sit the box in your car, you get in your car, you start home. On your way home, somebody plows into your car. Your airbag malfunctions. So you lose several teeth on the steering wheel. You get out of the car. Somebody gives you a ride home. Your health is shot. Your car is shot. Your job is gone. On the way home, you ask them to stop by the mailbox. You open your mailbox, and there's a letter from your insurance company. You open it. And it says, your insurance company's filing for bankruptcy. You're no longer covered. You stagger around the corner, and your house is on fire. (laughs) And you stand there, losing everything. It's kind of like Job's one day was, or two different days. But you've lost everything everything. And yet, you have Jesus Christ in your life. And through him, you, you know that, that the problems of this life are temporary. The joys of heaven are eternal. And you, you have pain and you have discomfort, but you are still a child of the King. And you're still rooted and built up and established in in Him. And nothing can shake that. You are His. And He is yours. And and so Paul's trying to encourage the, the believers. We're going through hard times, great difficulties, struggles in the early church, as some some people are in the world today, much more much more strenuous struggles than we are going through. And then in verse 8, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. To, to be spoiled is to be taken as a spoil of war. He's not saying philosophy is evil. What he's saying is philosophy is good, but only if your theology is right. You should have a philosophy of life, a philosophy of ministry, but it needs to be rooted in your theology of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And he said you can get caught up in this and vain deceit, empty deceitfulness after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world. You can get caught up in deceitful philosophies and evolutionary theory and human traditions that just don't teach the truth of the Word of God 
and focus on Jesus Christ. But he said, that's, that's not where you should look. Verse 9, instead, focus on Christ. In him. Still addressing him as Christ. He mentioned Christ in verse 2. He mentioned Christ in verse six, uh, 5. He mentioned Christ in verse 6. He mentions Christ in verse 8. And then he said, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Focus on Christ. He's the fullness of God. You are rooted in him. You are built up in him. You are established because of him. You have a spiritual relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have doctrinal truth that you need to know to follow Jesus Christ. And you have a spiritual relationship with him. As I've often said, God is at work on you, in you, through you, and for you. God is at work. You can and should then be abounding with thanksgiving, overflowing with gratitude for the awesomeness of your God and your Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Megan was sharing about God strengthening her. Your omnipotent God is strengthening you. Omnipotent God gives you strength. The omniscient God, the one who knows everything, gives you wisdom and instruction and guidance. Uh, The omnipresent God, who is everywhere at once, is always with you. Your eternal God is going to spend every day of your life with you. John just turned 41. Every day of his life, God has loved him and always will. His mother had a tough time a couple times. No, actually, I know his mom. She's always loved him too. Your loving God cares about you personally and deeply. And yes, Georgia, he even cares about your cats. I might not, but he does. Your heavenly Father will one day Welcome you home. You know, when I went in the Marine Corps, I was away from the family for a while. And for a time, we thought I was going to war. Ended up being called off. We were on board ship heading toward Nicaragua, and they called it off and put us off. And, you know, I was a Marine. We were all so disappointed we didn't get to go get shot at. Um, and and uh, I remember every time I went home, my mom would just run up and hug me. She was so excited that I was home and I was still alive. My dad would come up and give me a big bear hug. Imagine heavenly, our Heavenly Father. You get to heaven? And heavenly, our Heavenly Father welcomes us home, and the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a bear hug. I don't know that's how it'll be. But if Jesus' family is like my family, there's lots of hugging. Right, Murder? Lots of hugging. And we're going to be welcomed home. It's not going to be, hey, Jeff, I'm glad you're here. Look, can you sit over there? Because you're not really 
part of the family. It's going to be, Jeff, come on in. You're part of the family. Paul, the Apostle Paul, will walk up, put his arm around Jeff, say, dude, I'm glad you liked my books. I'm glad they helped you. Peter will say, hey, you want to go fishing? I don't know what it's really going to be like. (laughs) But we are going to belong there. We're going to be connected there because of what Jesus did. Because we are his and he is ours. And when we get there, we will not say, oh, look, there's the Lord. We will say, oh, my Lord. Because we are with him. So you can and you should be abounding with thanksgiving, overflowing with gratitude. Because you have an awesome God. That's an awesome plan for your life now and forever. So how are you doing with that? Are you being grumpy pants? Because you didn't get the spoon you wanted? (laughs) Or are you being mature enough to realize any spoon works as long as it doesn't leak? God loves you. But let me tell you this. He hates your sin. The Bible said God is angry with the wicked every day. He hates sin. So if there's an area of your life you need to correct, do it today. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have not asked him to forgive your sins, do it today. If there's an area of obedience, like being scripturally baptized or joining with the church or any area of obedience that you're not pursuing, make a commitment today to do it. You can even take a pen and write in your Bible that you commit on this day that you're going to do this. Because God is, he wants you to have a relationship with him. But he wants you to have a true relationship. Not a fake, emotional, Jesus is my best friend. But a truth. Jesus is my friend and my Lord. Spirit and truth together in him. So in a few moments, we're going to sing a song. Kind of a song of invitation. Um, It's a song that we sang two verses of earlier in the service. And the song is, Be Thou My Vision. And when we sing this song, you need to really think about, is your life focusing on Jesus Christ? And so before we sing this, I want you to take a moment and just look inside your heart, because the Lord is. You might as well join him in this. Look inside your heart. See if there's some area you need to change. And if there is, commit to make that change. Benjamin, come and play. And Jim, come up and lead us after he plays through this song one time. Then we'll join and sing together. But while he's playing through this time, just you and God looking at your life, looking at your heart.